0: In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the ever merciful, Assalamu Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the show Faith and Freedom on Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to Azhar Chaudhary and you're joined by my co host Khalid Hayat. Khalid, Assalamu Alaikum.
1: Wa alaykum salam wa, rahmatullahi
0: wa uh, dear listeners, thank you very much for joining us this morning from Hadikatul al-Mahdi at Oakland Farms, where the 57th Annual Convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community is taking place, uh, with 40,000 attendees expected from over 100 countries. And you join us at a milestone uh, where we are launching a completely new show on Voice of Islam radio, focusing on freedom of religion or belief. Uh, this show, which is called Faith and Freedom, will focus on a range of topics in this area, including the origins of freedom of religion or belief, uh, spotlighting religious communities that face Christian persecution all across the world, also looking at the economic benefits of freedom of religion or belief, uh, and much, much more uh, to come in the year uh, ahead. Today's topic that we'll cover is um, religious persecution. A series of religious persecution spotlights, uh, focusing on Christian persecutions to start with, um, and this obviously will be quite quite an interesting topic to start off with.
1: Yes, yes, I think. Um as we delve into a number of different persecuted communities, I think Christianity is an interesting um, case study to look at first. Um, and as the year will go on, we'll be referencing a number of different communities, including the, M- the Muslim community, um, that have been subject to persecution across the world. Yeah. So um, it's starting off strong. Absolutely.
0: Um, so I think before we get into the case studies uh, around Christian persecutions, it, it is worth identi- it is worth defining. What Freedom of Religion or Belief Denial means. So the definition that we have uh, for our show is a denial of freedom of religion or belief is an individual may be denied the right to manifest his religion or her religion in public or private. Uh, They may be forbidden to have specific religion. They may be denied the right to change religious beliefs. They may be denied the right to worship, teach or practice as their religious belief dictates. And we've also had some interesting discussions with academics on this topic already, including Professor uh, and an episode that will feature late in the year around the concept of freedom of religion or belief. And in this interview, Professor Sasari mentions that actually restrictions on freedom of religion or belief can come from two sources, uh, the state, but also non-state actors, groups, and society. And you will see that in this episode, this is a running theme uh, throughout those case studies that we mention. And just before, This, I guess, like I said, begs the question, is the state uh, or are non-state actors the problem when it comes to freedom of religion or belief? And just uh, as a backdrop, over the decade from 2007 to 2017, government restrictions on religion, you know, this is laws and policies and actions by state officials that restrict freedom of religion or belief, increased markedly around the world. Uh, and uh, social hostilities involving religion including violence by non-state actors have also risen so we see a uh, marked increase in, in both aspects and regards but let's dive into, in the, to the topic today that we're discussing which is Christian persecution and Khaled let us, uh, give us an overview on the issue
1: yeah so Christians have um, been subject to persecution um, for, for a number of years, um, and, it, and this goes back s- centuries. So, so Christianity, statistically, it is suggested as one of the most persecuted religions in the world. Um, the inis- International Society of Human Rights says that 80% of religious persecution in the world is actually against Christians, which is of course, sort of a remarkable st- statistic. Um, you know, Open Door estimates that 245 million Christians around the world, that's one in nine. Wow. Um, Christians actually face persecution. And um, there was a report um, commissioned in 2019 um, by the UK Foreign Secretary at the time called the Truro Review, um, which basically evidenced that there was wide persecution of Christians um, worldwide. Um, And, you know, if we want to take it back further to the origins of um, persecution of the Christian faith, um, you know, this can be traced as far back as the first century Um, All the way to the present day, you know, Christian missionaries and converts um, to Christianity have both been targeted for persecution, sometimes to the point of being martyred for their faith. um, Ever since the emergence of Christianity, early Christians um, were persecuted at the hands of the Jewish community from um, whose religion Christianity had arisen um, and the Romans who controlled many of the early centers of Christianity in the Roman Empire Um, you know, early in the fourth century, Mm. um, the empire's uh, official persecutions were ended and the practice of Christianity was only legalized until the Edict of Milan in 312 AD. Um, And then sort of by the year of 380 AD, um, Christians began to persecute each other. Um, You know, and and we're seeing the, the dichotomy between, you know, social persecution and state persecution Um, You know, the schisms of late antiquity and the Middle Ages, including the Protestant Reformations, these are all examples of severe conflicts within the Christian denominations themselves. So there was inter-persecution between other, you know, populaces of the Christian faith. And and you see mirrors within many different religious communities as we look through this series of programs. Um, You see even within Islam, multiple schisms of Islam persecuting or being persecuted by other denominations of Islam i.e. the Ambian Muslim community, which is subject to persecution across the world. Yeah. Um, and then we're sort of moving forward to the 20th century um, where Christian popula- populations were persecuted. Sometimes they were persecuted to the point of genocide. You're looking at, you know, the Ottoman Empire, um, you know, which committed the Hamidian massacres. There's been the Armenian genocide in recent history, the Assyrian genocide. You know, sh- Shockingly, these are, you know, moments in history that are somewhat forgotten, particularly with the Asia that we live in, where there's a lot of reporting on all sorts of persecutions, you know, unless you're part of those communities, um, you know, these cornerstones of society are sort of lost in time. Um, And so before we sort of delve further into, maybe you want to talk about different states that in the modern era, now that we've reached the modern era, there are different states that currently persecute Christians.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. Um, so, whilst there is no evidence of state-sponsored persecution of, of of Christians in the majority of countries, there are case studies, uh, including in China. Um, but what we see more predominantly with Christian persecution is that actually this is perpetrated by non-state actors. So, Islamist, so-called Islamist groups like Boko Haram in Nigeria, the Houthi movement in Yemen, uh, the. Uh, the sort of Islamic State in Syria, these have been perpetrators of Christian persecution uh, recently. So we, we see more of a non-state actor um, sort of advance in this rather than state actor uh, persecution, although there is state-sponsored persecution of Christians in some countries uh, that we see. Before we dive into our case studies, it's also worth mentioning that the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, its report mentioned that countries of concern when it comes to Christian persecution include China, Iran, Nigeria, Pakistan, uh, amongst many others, and these are countries that are labeled as countries of particular concern uh, by the State Department. So these are countries that we will now deep dive into to understand in, in more detail the context behind the persecution that they face. And we start off with China, Khaled.
1: Sure. And, you know, just to make sure that we, we aren't boring the listeners, we'll try and keep this as condensed as possible for each of the case studies. Um, but but obviously, China is, is a massive proponent um, of restrictions on, on religious freedoms, um, you know, whether it's considered state-sanctioned, you know, by international standards or, or, or not. But, you know, Christianity has had a tense relationship in China, and this goes back... Back as far as the Yuan dynasty, which is sort of from the 13th century, Um, you know, China's Christian community currently stands, as of the date of recording, at around 96 million, and that's just under 7% of the country's total population. Um, So the the constitution technically guarantees freedom of religion and belief um, uh, and prohibits discrimination on the grounds of um, religious affiliation. However, um, the, the state has portrays itself as a guarantor of normal religious activities, um, which must not endanger the order or public health that interferes with the education system. So we're seeing sort of a qualification of freedom of religion and belief in China. Um, And as a result, only five patriotic religious associations, Buddhism, Taoism, Islam, Catholic and Protestant, um, are even permitted to register legally to carry out religious activities. And so you're seeing a number of... Um, denominations of the Christian faith effectively made illegal or are not permitted, and that includes um, the Orthodox Church um, and Judaism. Um, the restrictions are particularly string- stringent um, in the case of believers who recognise a religious authority outside of China's border, and that obviously includes the Pope um, or, or the Dalai Lama, or, or in, in fact that His Holiness, um, you know, Hazim Rizal Masur Ahmed and may Allah be his helper. Um, however, there some university researchers believe that in the future, China will have more Christians among its populations than any other in the world. Um, there are some, you know, 58 million Protestants at present, um, but that figure is protected to rise to 160 million by 2025. Um, so as a result, um, you know, an annual report um, of the U.S. Uh, State Department um, says that there are a number of imprisonments of clergymen um, who are affiliated with patriotic religious associations outside of the state um, according to the organization aid to the church in need um, a certain number of senior catholic clerics are in prison and have been there for years and it's almost impossible to obtain any information um and the authorities deny that the holy see um uh, has the right to appoint and transfer bishops to serve a community of nine million catholics um so, you know, you're seeing quite widespread yeah, persecution uh, in China. Absolutely. And, and
0: we also have Nigeria and Iraq um, in, in the midst as well. Um, again, two countries with a sort of similar um, issue of non-state actors persecuting uh, Christians. Uh, in, in Nigeria, you know, you've got 98 million Christians. Half the country's population yeah, they're persecuted. But we uh, we have um, uh, previously uh, interviewed someone in the space who works in the space, uh, John Pontifex from the NGO Christ- uh, Aid to the Church in Need. Um, and we've delved a bit more into detail around what this topic uh, is, uh, also what the issues are, what the factors are regarding Christian persecution, and can there be anything that we can do uh, to help the cause and ensure that Christians can practice their faith uh, more freely. So we'll we'll go into that interview now and come back afterwards. Uh, We are joined today by John Pontifex, who's the Head of Press and Information at the Aid to the Church in Need. Aid to the Church in Need is an international Catholic pastoral aid organisation that provides pastoral and humanitarian assistance to persecuted Christians and those in need in over 145 countries. Their mission is to support and promote the Church, especially in countries where Christians are facing persecution or discrimination. They also provide practical assistance and pastoral care for individuals in need, including refugees. Before we start and get into the interview with John, it's also worth giving a backdrop around the state of persecution for Christians. The persecution of Christians is a global issue that affects millions of people around the world. Christians are targeted because of their faith, and the problem is often exacerbated by economic and political factors. According to the latest World Watch list released by Open Doors, more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. It's quite a stark number and a stark backdrop in terms of the persecution that the Christian faith faces all across the world. John, thank you very much for joining us today.
2: It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you. We'll start off with a basic question around the issue, which is, what are some of the key factors contributing to the rise of Christian persecution?
2: Yes, this is a really important part of understanding the whole nature of of Christian persecution, the way in which it's uh, getting worse. And yet, at the same time, uh, there seems to be very little uh, known about it in the public sphere. So we often follow the U.S.-based Pew Research Center because it's seen as being, uh, because it's non-religious to that Mm -hmm. extent, it's seen as having a layer of impartiality that uh, non-religious specific groups can't necessarily attain, although the the data produced by Open Doors, which you quoted there, and I work very closely with them, they're, data is extremely robust. Um, but it's also worth looking at some of these secular sources, such as the Pew Research Center. And their most recent figures indicate that Christians suffer harassment and, at worst, be it discrimination, persecution, um, and, and indeed genocide, um, in as many as 155 countries, wow. which is the highest for at least fifteen years, so what we can say is that there are uh, more countries where Christians have harassment uh, than is the case with any other faith group. Um, so what we that what that means is that uh, Christian persecution is the widest in terms of its geographical reach um, but we also can indicate that not necessarily is it the case that in each of these countries uh, do we see Christians suffer the most. So there are specific countries, and obvious ones come to mind, such as China, where you've got the Uighur Muslims, uh, and in, uh, in Burma, you've got the Rohingyas, who arguably suffer worse. And when I was in Iraq, we quickly found out that it was the Yazidis who suffered far worse under Daesh than Christian. None, none of this um, under, uh, undermines the case to show the gravity of Christian persecution, but it sets it in a context. So in terms of trying to find out what what are the key factors, um, what we've uh, identified ourselves the aid to the church in need uh, through our persecuted and forgotten report, which we set up, um 15 or more years ago uh and which um is our own assessment of the scale of persecution in different countries is perhaps three factors that were worth looking at um and we see them in particular regions so for example in africa uh where clearly there are huge problems um not just for christians but for many other faith groups too too um but what we would uh, assess it's that if you look at the nature of the attacks, the killings, uh, the mass displacement, um, the, the forced movement of people away from towns and villages, um, that there is what we've described as a, a sharp increase in genocidal violence from militant non-state actors, including jihadists. So that's really the number one thing. And this is reflected in our um, Religious Freedom in the World report, which was launched on the 22nd of June. Where, if you look at the most serious category of persecution, uh, what we call our red category, um, there are 28 countries in that most serious category, but 13 of those 28 are in Africa. So, this would probably be sufficient for us to say that this increase in genocidal violence from militant non state actors, many of them extremists, jihadists, uh, is probably at this time, point in time. The most obvious, most clearly uh, visible um, force that's driving persecution. But elsewhere, we've noticed that pre existing persecution, that perhaps has dipped in more recent years, but the impact of that is still being played out. So in the Middle East, um, migration that's triggered by persecution has not slowed. So um, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, these are countries where Daesh have obviously been militarily defeated, but which are so, so volatile and uh, so um, under strain of political, economic and religious areas that that migration is threatening the survival of the Christian presence in areas where it dates back the furthest, obviously, uh, to the times of the origins of Christianity. Um So there's that. And the final factor is, of course, state authoritarianism, where um, we've seen, especially in Asia, um, religious nationalism, state nationalism, which targets Christianity as an agent of the West. So here we would pick out Burma, China, Vietnam and others. And this is a growing problem. And uh, it's one that's often very difficult to fully assess because so much of it goes on in secret.
0: We have covered in our show Nigeria amongst countries that we have spotlighted when it comes to Christian persecution in Iraq as well, where obviously there's very brutal persecution going on against the Christian communities there. In Iraq, interestingly also, I think the local populace, as you as you mentioned, has dwindled significantly. I think the figure that we have from our research is that more than 80% have fled the country since 2003. Quite a stark figure and also yeah. interesting to see that in different regions of the world, the kind of persecution that, that is being faced is is also slightly different as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I I went to, I've been to Iraq several times with Aid to the Church need, as far back as 2008 was my first one. I went last year. And um, this is a community where the numbers have diminished to such a point that now there might be perhaps less than 100,000 Christians. And yet before the the fall of Saddam in 2003, uh, there might have been uh, 800,000 a million or perhaps even 1.2 million um certainly the last census in 1987 was 1. 1.4 million so there's been a catastrophic emptying of christians from so many communities where they've existed almost without break uh right back to pre-christian times so certainly in the nine of the plains um we we're, we're seeing the end of a of a civilization um, really, that um, uh, has alarmed so many people, not least the king when he was Prince of Wales was particularly alarmed yeah. by what was happening to, to the Christian presence uh, in, in Iraq and elsewhere in the Middle East.
0: Absolutely. And I I guess my my second question, which is a follow-on from this, and I suppose you've already covered a bit of it, is around any underlying socio-political issues that contribute to this targeting of Christians in the regions. I think the the other interesting example here is Nigeria, where around half of the population, 98 billion out of 211 million are Christians. We see severe persecution in that country. What do you contribute that to? Is that a lack of governance? Obviously, you've mentioned jihadism. We don't believe is Islam. It has nothing to do with Islam. So keen to understand that a bit more as well.
2: Yes, what we've drew out in our religious freedom report um, that Aid to the Church and He produced, launched um, only last month, was um, an increase in the number of what we call majoritarian religious communities suffering. Persecution. So, the obvious example it's mentioned in the main findings of the Religious Freedom Report is indeed Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a visit from a bishop from southern Nigeria, from southwest Nigeria, Ondo State. This bishop, Jude Aragondade, um, was reflecting on the most appalling attack that took place during a church service um, in. One of his parishes, one of his churches, people gathering for, for mass there, were attacked and uh, 41 killed, more than 80 injured. And he um, has studied this very carefully as Bishop Jude, and we've studied it very carefully. And we know that the situation is very, very complex. Uh, and the factors that are driving this um are are many and in overlapping and interweaving. So, we would look at, um, uh, as you rightly say, a breakdown in in governance. And for example, in this case, the attack on the church in in Owo back in June of 2022. Even though it's more than a year since that had happened, uh, to our best of our knowledge, no one has been charged. So, if that's happening, um, as no one is being brought to justice, that simply strengthens uh, the, the resolve of communities that are responsible for these attacks to carry on, knowing that they can act with impunity and get away with it. Yeah. The breakdown of governance is certainly there. Another factor is uh, ethnic division. So we see uh, the, the many different groups struggling um, between. You've got um, you've got farmers and landowners and you've got um, herdsmen who are constantly on the move, these nomadic herdsmen, um, Fulanis, who are constantly in search of fresh pastures to to graze their cattle. And these uh, particular farmers um, have become militarized in many instances. So we're seeing the illegal flow of arms um, into these countries and Uh, Particularly in Nigeria, we're seeing uh, these herdsmen who would traditionally have the most basic of weapons to defend their their livestock. Uh, Now they've got the most sophisticated weapons. And everyone's asking, how on earth have such a community got that Mm. level of sophisticated weaponry? So you've got the illegal spread of arms, you've got ethnic divisions, and you've also got the element of climate change, whereby these um, nomadic groups are forced further away from their traditional grazing grounds because of climate change, having uh, produced desertification in in key areas. But the other aspect, and it was drew out, drawn out by um, Bishop Jude Aragondade of Ondo in Nigeria, responding to the OO atrocity, was uh, the rise of, of jihadism. So we know that that is sorely contested yeah. by by other, others within the Muslim community. Um, but in this case, he stated in the House of the Parliament last year when we invited him over uh, that uh, it's evident from the attacks in Owo and elsewhere um, that there's a reassertion of um, uh, an extremist drive to push Christians and others out. And so We're very concerned about that, and we have done a lot of work to try to draw attention to the scale of these problems. Um, But one of the things, of course, is the sheer numbers that we're talking about, um, that, you know, we're talking in terms of thousands upon thousands of Christians. In fact, according to our research, 7,600 Christians killed in Nigeria between January 21 and June 22. So, um, and this this is unending. I mean, my own parish priest um, here in South London, he was talking about a close friend of his who was uh, a, a training for the priesthood um, when he knew him, and and has been shot dead. So, um, where well, people are really, really, very distressed and anxious about where this will lead, mm. um, an explosion of violence is how we're describing it in our reports and it's so many people not just christians who are affected Yes, for Christians m- m- among others of course
0: no, absolutely I think the idea that if there is a lack of justice then extremists have a free for all to do anything they like and you mentioned obviously those tragic incidents of killings by them of Christians across Nigeria which of course is, is quite distressing and concerning to add to that also Burkina Faso is another country within West Africa and there nine Muslims were killed massacred by extremists Gosh, earlier horrible. earlier in the year so jihadism is an issue when it comes to persecution as well Moving on, I guess I'd be keen to understand some of the incidents or cases of Christian persecution that have gained international attention, and I think there are quite a few that have through media, social media, in the recent years on this.
2: Yes, this is a good question because against this, it's the backdrop of uh, widespread um, lack of media engagement. I remember um, in my media role, we found a case of a young Christian girl who'd been kidnapped and forcibly converted and sexually violated and um, her family were desperate to find her. And eventually she was found four or five months later and she'd been tied, tethered uh, to to uh, a radiator by a rope and um, was mute thanks to the sheer uh, brutality that she'd suffered. And I presented this as a um, a, sh- a news story idea uh, to key uh, newspapers in this country, and and they said, unfortunately, this just isn't the right time for a story like this. And you think shocking, you yeah. You know, it, it, given the nature of this mm. um, and how many news stories you produce, um, covering such a wide range of things, um, it's extraordinary that that you actually turn this one down.
0: Yeah, so, indeed.
2: But it, it's 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 worth saying that so often our major battle is getting any of these cases um uh the, the 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 spotlight they deserve. But having said that, there are some that really, really get the limelight. The most notable one probably um is, is Asia Bibi. Um Indeed. this is yep. the Christian uh woman uh whose family we at Aid of the Church need got to know quite well who was accused of blasphemy. The story had it that she was um, carrying uh, water on a very, very hot day where they had been picking juniper berries, um, some kind of berries in in, uh, in close to where she lived in Pakistan. And uh, she had admitted to taking a drink of water um, because it was so hot from this cup. And those who were working with her were appalled that a Christian should have d- taken from a the- drink from this cup, and they f- decided that she'd violated the vessel and made it impossible for them to drink from it, and they then challenged her, and she responded, and they decided that her response was tantamount to blasphemy. And of course, um, as many of your listeners will be aware, she ended up being sentenced to death Extremely. And after nine years, even 10 years of, of strain and struggle by so many people, uh, the Supreme court overturned the ruling of the Lahore high court. And eventually after an appeal in May, uh, of, of 2019, she, she was allowed to go free and, wow. uh, or might have been just fractionally earlier in 2019, she was allowed to go free. Hmm. And um, we've been in touch with her um, and we're very closely following her case. But uh, Pakistan was ground to a standstill in opposition to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the ruling on appeal. And it was a story that made headlines throughout the world because um, she was illiterate, um Asibibi, and um the case against her seemed to be extremely weak um but that's not the only case i mean uh easter 2019 uh the world awoke to news that there had been a series of bombings in sri lanka yeah. um not all of them targeted churches these bombers but uh, a number of churches were were targeted easter day packed with worshippers Three churches notably were killed, were, were targeted. Um, there was one in, in Colombo, of course, the capital, one in Nagombo, and a third in, in Baticolo. And if you count all the numbers of those killed in those three churches, we're talking about nearly 200. Um, so that was a, a synchronized a series of bombings, uh, attacks that, that scarred. So many people and was headline news that day uh, we later at aid to the church need invited one of the priests who ministered to the uh, injured and dying and he gave a very powerful testimony in the house of of commons um and described the the extraordinary story of, of ministering in a place where such terrible atrocity had happened mm-hmm. and again um, the question of who was responsible, uh, bringing people to justice for this terrible atrocity um, very much taxed the energies of the Church Cardinal at Malcolm Ranjith, the Archbishop of Colombo, um, was was very disappointed um, early on in the process of bringing to justice those responsible. And this is our constant concern, that where the incidents of this nature aren't brought the conclusion, the form of justice, it implicates the state as not taking these things seriously, not doing what it can. And I know that for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, you've suffered this hugely. Yeah. Um, and it, it's uh, something where we very much join with you in, you know, it's one thing for, um, you know, we know that the, the potential for attacks to happen is always there. Yeah. But it's extraordinary when uh, there's such a struggle to bring those to justice, uh, and when there's such a, a delay in enabling that to happen. No, absolutely,
0: and the RSBV case again—that that is something that anyone working in the space will have heard of or be involved with in some capacity, shape or form. Um, obviously, tragic cases, both the Sri Lankan bombings and, and the RSBV case. I guess the notable thing about the SCBB case is that you had Minorities Minister, the then Minister for Minorities, Shabaz Bhatti, and the Punjab Governor, Samanta both were assassinated for advocating on our behalf and opposing the blasphemy laws. I guess moving on, c- coming coming to the end to this interview, has been a fascinating discussion. The Hope question Have you had any success stories in the work? I'm sure you have listeners will be keen to understand a bit more around any success stories you've had as aid to the church and need helping persecuted Christians around the world.
2: Yes, I think there are a number of of huge and perhaps uh un, entirely unexpected successes. One is that in this space um when I first started working with aid to the church need more than twenty years ago. Um, the way we, we dealt with things was very much in our own little silo. Um, yeah. We were aid to the church in need. We we spoke to our community. Uh, we fundraised within our community. And we worked almost exclusively with our community. What's happened over the, la- the last 20 years is a banding together of of people from different faiths, different backgrounds, different traditions, who are beginning to come to gather around a common understanding uh, about the importance of the right to religious freedom, and this is irrespective of uh, differences in, in particular beliefs yep. uh, but a recognition um, that religious freedom is something we are all um, wanting to fight for and fight for it we must and it's wonderful to be invited to come uh, as a Catholic to come and speak on the radios of the like yours, because it's an expression of just how far we've come, uh, recognizing that the the uh, the evil of of violence against people uh, simply for their faith is something we we must all um, come together to, to stop, and we can only do that if we come together. And I think. That has been a really tangible um, uh, step forward, and gives, and should give, a huge amount of hope. So that would be my first thing. The second is um, that we have, in individual cases, been able to extricate people from situations of terrible distress, where uh, essentially there is a price over their head. They're having to live in um, hiding, uh, and they're in terrible mental anguish. And only uh, last week, I was able to speak to somebody who, uh, after an extraordinary journey, had been able to make their their way out of a country of persecution and was able now to start a new life. Now, we don't want this to happen to every case of persecution, but in extreme cases, it's the only way forward. Um, And so, and I think just as one final point would be, You know, we talked about Iraq earlier. Just to get back to it, when I went to Iraq in 2014, at the height of the extremist um, um, invasion by the jihadists, no one could imagine that there'd be anything other than than distress going forward. Now, that community has been rebuilt. The extremists have been forced out. Uh, Churches have been rebuilt. Communities have returned. Schools have reopened. Uh, convents have been reopened uh, and it's been an incredible journey back from the abyss and this has been done at the behest of a church need and others working together and it shows what can happen
0: no, absolutely and i think it, it is quite inspiring because often in, in this space it can be quite depressing it can be sad and obviously it is because these are tragic stories tragic incidents of people who really suffer on the ground uh, for their faith and really the inspiration of a lot of work that I'm sure you you and my, myself do but I think it's also very touching to see success stories and, and I'm aware of many more of Eight to the Church in need but of course we are running up, out of time uh, today in this interview but I know John you'll be attending our annual convention in the Joseph Solana in Alton Hampshire in a few weeks time so we really look forward to uh,
2: having you there uh, look forward very much to joining you uh, at the great event oh.
0: That was a great and informative discussion, Khalid, with John Pontifex from Aid to the Church in Need. Uh, John, I'm pleased to say, will be joining us at the annual convention here in Oakland Farms, Hadikat Al Mahdi, on Sunday. So we, I certainly look forward to discussing this topic yeah. with him in more detail. Me as well, me as well. And it's also quite heartening to see some of these success stories. You know, like I said, we often hear... What has gone wrong, but actually it's also good to look at what's gone right and how we can help. But one thing that really interested me, Khalid was this case study of Pakistan. Um, he, we, John mentioned um, Asia Bibi and the distressing case of her, yeah. um, the blasphemy cases, baseless blasphemy cases, uh, charges that were lay, leveled against her yeah. because of a quarrel, yeah. essentially. It'll be interesting i think for our listeners to delve into this case
1: study further pakistan yeah yeah i think pakistan as as a, a unique country um you know john mentioned that a lot of the source of christian persecution potentially across the globe was sourced by islamic jihadism um and we're seeing that it's almost religious persecution from another religion to another religion but i think pakistan is a remarkably good case study for what is state sanctioned and non-state sanctioned persecution sort of blending together and you're seeing both a proponent of the state pushing persecution across all faiths and that doesn't just mean Christianity of course that the most notable example in Pakistan is the persecution of MD Muslims which we'll obviously go into um, in future episodes but we're seeing you know Two politicians, as mentioned in the interview, mm. um, one of them being Salman Taseer, who was the former governor of Punjab, yeah. um, was quite a strong defender of the freedom of religion and belief. Um, and that included the rights of the um, Muslims yeah. in the region.
0: And I suppose what you see Khaled, is this intertwining of state and non
1: state element dominating. Pakistan has both. Correct. Correct, and and so you know, for for example, if you're looking at sort of state-sanctioned, in particular, um, and this is not necessarily jihadism, but just pure state-sanctioning. Um, you know, Pakistani law mandates that blasphemies of the Quran are to be met with punishment, um, and at least a dozen Christians have been given you know death sentences, and R C A B B being an example mm. of a death sentence penalty. Yep. Um, and you know, as of the date of this recording, in 2005, eighty Christians. Um, were behind bars due to just these laws in general. So that's yeah. not necessarily um, an Islamic um, proponent of jihadism, yeah. but pure state sanctioning. Mm. Um, but then you, know, you are seeing non-state sanctioned examples as well in yes. Pakistan. Um, so you know, for example, in 2016, on Easter Sunday, um, at least 75 people were killed and mm. over 340 um, were injured in a suicide bombing at the main entrance of um, Gulshin Iqbal Park, which is one of the largest parks in Lahore. Yeah. And obviously that attack was targeted during the Easter celebrations um and so you're seeing this unique scenario where um a state is both sanctioning uh, all persecuted minorities but then it's also effectively being inactive in the social persecution of these minority groups and yeah. in particular you know we focused on christianity here mm-hmm. um but you know we cover a number of different um uh communities in the future and all of these will be subject to a mixture of state and non-state sanctioned um persecution and you know it's quite poignant that john is coming today or 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 on over the three days um and that we'll have an opportunity to speak and have further discourse around what is persecution of minority um uh Absolutely. Religions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, obviously, the state-sanctioned bit in Pakistan. And again, the reason why I mentioned it, and you've obviously mentioned it, but for the benefit of the listeners is that actually the state-sanctioning of a minority or religious is only for Amdi Muslims and not for Christians or any other communities. That is not to say that Christians are not persecuted in Pakistan, but the reason why we mention both elements joining together is because actually Amdi Muslims are sanctioned both ways. Correct. So non-state actors are attacking them, state actors are attacking them, but that is just to, um, for the benefit of viewers.
1: This obviously is focused on Christians. Correct, correct. And, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity being here at the 57th um, Justice on an Oakland farm, um, we have a chance to engage in discourse around how we get around state-sanctioned persecution, how we expand... Um, freedom of Religion and Belief, we have the opportunity to listen to His Holiness, yeah. Huzum Reza Mursur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, in his keynote address. And, you know, he will provide us with guidance on how we can um, address these issues. Um, but we'll also have a number of foreign dignitaries and local dignitaries who will also be providing their opinions on yeah. how we can expand interfaith discourse, how we can break the shackles that, that kind of restrict freedom of religion and belief are across the globe. Um, and that's not just limited to Islam. Um, That's, you know, goes across all faiths. And um, Azar, I think, you know, you know that we are going to be um, covering a number of different case studies um, across this uh, series. Um, Inshallah, there will be a episode that will air our our first episode that delves deeper into um, the history of freedom of religion belief um, and, you know, where that source of rights come from. And you know, we'll do our best to cover as many case studies as possible, um, and ensure that as many communities that need to be covered um, should be covered. We'll also be covering um, you know strong actors um, in the space. You know, John spoke about success stories, and hopefully, um, as part of this series, we'll be able to to highlight some of those success stories as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely Khaled um, We have come to the end of this week's episode The inaugural episode of the Faith and Freedom Show uh, Hopefully this has been an enlightening episode We thought we would start this episode with Christian persecution uh, And John also mentioned it in his interview You know, He's a Christian being interviewed by an Islamic channel um, So it shows that When we work together, you can really promote the cause. And that is one of the purposes of the show. It is to promote, raise awareness uh, and seek to make a difference in this space for those uh, who can't speak for themselves when it comes to their faith and belief. This, as I say, is the first episode. Our second episode, uh, again, we'll carry on with this uh, spotlight series on religious communities, but we'll also look at topics such as the history and origins of freedom of religion or belief, the economic benefits, and also some key actors within the space, as well later in the year. So a lot to look forward to. But uh, I'd like to thank my panelist, Khaled uh, Hayat, for joining me this morning. Thank you for for being here. It is muddy uh, today, but we hope with the sun it will phase phase out uh, quickly. Bring your wellies. (laughs) wellies. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I'd like to thank John, of course, for his uh, insights. Um, And again, look forward to meeting him on Sunday. I'd like to mention that the views and opinions mentioned by the panelists are their views only and do not necessarily represent the views and outlook of the Voice of Islam radio for feedback and more information or to listen to this episode again please log on to www.voiceofislam.co.uk until next time
2: Assalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuh may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all